The following program is for informational purposes only. Do not make any investment without speaking to a licensed financial advisor. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? And welcome to the December 24th, Christmas Eve broadcast of the financial physician, Lou Scatigna, your certified financial planner. And you're a money doctor. Each and every week we upload our two-hour program Sunday morning, 7 a.m. And it just so happens to be that 7 a.m. this Sunday is Christmas Eve. Hopefully you're having a great Christmas season and you're, you're ready for the big holiday. If you're listening to this show after Christmas, hopefully you had a wonderful Christmas with your family. A lot to talk about today. Uh, isn't there every week? Um, the most important thing, obviously, this week is the Colorado Supreme Court saying that Donald Trump is disqualified for running for president in that state or being on the ballot because of his insurrection, um, uh, the leftists are out of control. I mean, the Trump derangement uh, syndrome does not end anywhere. Uh, And you know I have a lot to say about that. And I was actually going to open the show with it, but I'll save it for later. We always try to open the show with financial stuff and we save the political stuff uh, for later in the program. But this is so big. This is, uh, you want to talk about attack on democracy and the ability of the people to choose who they want to uh, elect as their leaders. I mean, that's what we're up against here. I mean, we're up against a Marxist left wing revolution in this country, uh, and it's totally out of control. Totally out of control. The border now this week, uh, every day, 12,000, 14,000 people are coming right across our border into our country. We'll talk about that. A lot of uh, men, military age, a lot of Chinese, Pakistanis, Middle Easterners. And it seems that this administration doesn't care. As a matter of fact, they do care. They're very happy about it. And you have to ask the question, why? And I think the whole thing is totally treasonous, and we'll dive into that uh, a little later. I open the show today with um, uh, the dreaded Medicare letter. Uh, if you've received this, you know what I'm talking about. The dreaded income-related monthly adjustment amount letter, or the IRMA, uh, I-R-M-A-A letter. And what is this thing? Now, I just got a call from a client two weeks ago that got one of these letters. And most people think that uh, the premiums on Medicare Part B are the same for everybody, and they're not. You know, unlike uh, auto insurance or homeowner's insurance or pretty much any other type of insurance, uh, if your premium goes up, it doesn't mean that you're getting more services or you get more protection. That's not the way Medicare Part B premium works. The way it works is based on your income. And if you have a year where you have extra income, you go over a certain limit, you're going to get the dreaded letter comes from Social Security saying that at least for one year, 
your premiums are going up on Medicare Part B. And a lot of people are surprised to get this letter. They don't know that Medicare Part B premiums are based on income. And they do something that increases their income. They, they take a large capital gain or they take a big distribution from a retirement plan or some income comes into their life. That's taxable income uh, that all of a sudden they find out. Two years later, and there's usually a two-year delay on this. So if your income goes over the limits, and I'll go over the limits in a second, but if, you, if your um, income two years ago went over the limit, you're going to get the letter now. Now, it doesn't last forever, this extra premium. Uh, if your income comes down to the next year, it'll drop as well. So it's a one-year thing. So the income from two years ago determines, now this is Part D too, it's not just Part B. Your premiums go up on Part D prescription drug coverage as well. Now, your premium is based on what they call your modified adjusted gross income. What is that? When we talk taxes, many times we're talking about taxable income. And taxable income is your, your gross income, your salary, your, your, your taxable part of your Social Security, your pension, capital gains, interest, dividends, rent, and municipal bond interest, which usually is not taxable, but it goes into this equation for your income. And that's why you got to report tax-free municipal bond income on your tax return because it's part of the modified adjusted uh, gross income. Now, typically when we talk taxable income, well, you take the the adjusted gross income and you subtract from it uh, deductions, like the standard deduction, if you take that, and most Americans do these days because it is so generous. Or if you itemize deductions on Schedule A, you deduct that from your adjusted gross income, and then you get your taxable income. Taxable income is important because taxable income is what determines your tax bracket. But for this case, when we're talking about Medicare Part B premiums, it's just a modified adjusted gross income. It's not the taxable income. So you have no deductions against it. Well, you do. You have a couple of above-line deductions, they call it, like an IRA contribution uh, or something like that. That would go into lowering your modified adjusted gross income. So you have to be, if you're on Medicare, you have to be aware uh, that if you do anything financially that's going to increase your income, that you better be aware what those limits are. So let's talk about what the limits are. Uh, let's use uh, 2023 uh, numbers. These numbers are going to go up a little bit for 2024. If you're a single person and you file a single tax return, the modified adjusted gross income that'll start triggering is $97,000. If you're under $97,000, you are single, you pay $164,90 in 2023. Oh, by the way, that's going up. Uh, in 2024, the Medicare Part B premium, the lowest premium anybody's going to pay, is going up about $10 a month. It's going from $164,90 to $174,70. So $9.80 is the increase in the Medicare Part B premium. That's what everybody's going to pay. So if you make less than $97,000, modified adjusted gross income, uh, you're going to pay the the, the $174.70. We're talking 2024 numbers. And again, the, the income is a little bit higher, but let's use these numbers. If you're married filing jointly, it's $194,000. Now, granted, most retired people, especially if you're married, you know, don't show income over $194,000. But what if you're doing something like um, Roth conversions? That's, that's a thing that people like to do. They like to take a traditional IRA and convert it to a Roth. So in the future, uh, it grows tax-free. You take the money out tax-free. 
But when you convert a traditional IRA to a Roth, that's considered taxable income, the amount that you convert. And some people will convert 100000 a year. And you got to understand that that may put you up. So what's the next level up? All right, so say you make, you're single and you make more than 97000 but less than 123000 If you're married, between 194000 and less than 246000 your Medicare Part B premium is going to jump to $230.80, $230.80. That's a pretty big jump from $174.70, isn't it? What if you're um, single and your income is between $123,000 and $153,000? Or if you're married, $246,000 to $306,000? It jumps up to $329.70. Wow. And then as we go up in income, it continues to go up higher. The maximum is $560.50 a month. And some people are paying that. Because they did something in their life. Say you have a rental property and you sell it for a huge capital gain. Well, you better be prepared uh, to get that dreaded letter from the Social Security saying that your Medicare Part B premium is going up. Now, some people ask, well, if I'm on a um, Medicare Advantage plan, does that affect me as well? Absolutely. And again, as I said earlier, Medicare Part D as well. Now, a lot of times this happens for an unusual reason. And uh, you can appeal. Anybody can appeal this when you get this letter, and you probably should. Too often I see people who paid higher than necessary premiums because they didn't appeal when they could. Uh, there's form SSA-44. And it is also known as the life-changing event appeal form. And it outlines very specific situations that allow you to appeal your premium, like something changes in your life unexpectedly. Uh, they are marriage, divorce, death of a spouse, work stoppage, loss of income-producing property, loss of pension income. Or maybe you had an employer settlement, you, you were suing an employer for back income or something. All these things are, are, are appealable. Like I have a client called, contacted me recently. She got this letter uh, that her uh, premium is going to go up over $200. And uh, it was because her husband died that year. And there was some interesting tax issues that, that, that happened that year. Uh, and we're appealing it now because this was a life-changing event. And she, we're going to probably be successful on it. So I, I go to great, great lengths to um, avoid Medicare uh, premium increases for my clients. But there are situations where the benefit of going over the threshold outweighs the cost of the additional premium. Uh, and that may be the case with Roth conversions. It may also be the case when deciding whether or not to sell a stock or a piece of property that you have. And that's the thing about finance. Everything you do financially has tangential effects that people don't think about. I do. And that's why I always tell my, my clients, you know, always call me before you do something and say, Lou, guess what I'm thinking about doing? Not Lou, guess what I did? Because a lot of the Lou, guess what I did situations can't be revoked. And then we got a problem. 
And uh, and I I'll, I'll let people know. Look, if you do this, you're going to incur a hundred and fifty thousand dollar capital gain. Are you prepared to pay two hundred and something dollars more a month each one of you, husband and wife, on your Medicare Part B premium for a year? Now, again, sometimes that makes sense. To, you know, look, you know, if you're a single person and you're going to pay one hundred and fifty dollars more for a year, what are we talking about? Seventeen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred dollars. Well, maybe it's worth it to do that. Like, I wouldn't mind winning the Powerball lottery uh, and have my premiums go up because obviously the benefit of winning millions of dollars uh, outweighs the extra cost um, of uh, my Medicare Part B premiums for a year. So keep in mind that there's a domino effect to every financial move in retirement. And make sure before you incur income uh, that could be avoided uh, that you understand how it's going to affect your Medicare Part B and Medicare Part D premiums. Now, when I meet with uh, new clients, you know, especially retired people, uh, and the first thing we do in our first meeting is we gather information. I, I want to know everything about you. And some people may be surprised at some of the nosy questions I ask, but I need to know this stuff. Uh, and um, I tell people, it's like going to the doctor. You know, you got to get naked. I need to know everything in your financial life. Uh, to make a financial physician analogy, which, as you know, I always make analogies between money and health and physical health. Um, and one of the things that always comes up afterwards is, how are we doing? How do we compare to other people you meet in our situation, our age, people entering retirement? People want to know that, and I want them to know it because I get excited when I tell people, you, you know, you're in the top 5% of income earners in retirement. Uh, and and when my potential clients are, are fine financially, I want them to know that. Because many of us, even though we have resources, we're, we're in the higher echelon, many of us still have self-doubt. You know, do we have enough money, you know, compared to everybody else? You don't know what everybody else has, right? You don't know what the average income is, what the average assets are. So I love it to be able to tell a client, you know, look, you're in great financial shape. Now, maybe they have to move the pieces on the chessboard around. Maybe their portfolio asset allocation is wrong. Maybe they need to become more conservative. Um, you know, those, that's all part of financial planning. But as far as how am I compared to the average American at this stage of their life? And I love to tell them. And, and if there's, you know, husband and wife, I, I, I tell the wife, I say, when you put your head on a pillow tonight, I want you to know that you're never going to run out of money and you don't have any financial worries. That's a peace of mind to give somebody. And I've had people, as they're leaving my conference room, you know, say, Lou, you know, you really made me feel better or you made us feel better. Uh, we didn't really know where we stood. And many people don't know that, that they're well off, that they're fine. So how do you know? Which, what, what, where are you as far as income percentile? Where are you? How does that divide up the scale? And um, there's, a, there's a website called Political Calculations Blog. And they set up this um, template where you can plug in your income, and it'll tell you exactly what percentage you're in. That's Political Calculations Blog. Just Google it. And uh, they give you a nice visual. They'll show it on a graph, and they'll show you the percent where you are. Now, let's talk individuals, and let's talk households. Uh, take an individual. What is the median 
the median income, where 50% of the people earn less than that and 50% earn more than that. Well, it's pretty low. It's 40480 Now, we're talking individuals. I'm not talking a whole family. I'm not talking husband and wife. I'm just talking about the average individual that works. 50% make less than 40480 and 50% make more. Now, the average is higher because the people who make more pull the average up. So the average is about 59430 Now, if you make 59430 you're at about the top, you're up right around 65%, meaning 35% people make more than you, 65% make less than you. Now, as we go up in income, of course, you know, once you're up uh, uh, to uh, 100000 you're in uh, the top 18%. Again, these are individuals. And obviously, as you go closer to a million, you're in the top 1% or the top fraction of 1%. How about households? When we, we, we take into consideration all the money that's coming into the house, husband, wife, um, if you're, you know, you, your elderly parents live with you, their Social Security check, that's all household income. Now, the numbers go up now, of course, because now you have more than one person earning. So the median, the 50% level for a household, and th- th- these are figures from 2022, I Guess they may be slightly higher in 2023, uh, but for full disclosure, it was 2022 numbers. So 50% uh, make less than 74,580 families, and 50% make more. What's the average? The average, again, is higher because the higher income families pull up the average. Uh, the average amount of money is 106,400, which puts you, again, right about the 65% level, meaning 35% make more than you. And 65% make less than your family. So um, if you're making, you know, $100,000 a year in the family, which is not a lot of money in America these days, as we all know. I mean, that's pre-tax money. We're not, we're not, you know, we're not talking about what you take home. I mean, what is $100,000 now? It's, it's a struggle. It's paycheck to paycheck. It's struggling to put groceries on the table, food. Um. So my guess is probably more like two hundred thousand, uh, but that puts you in the top fifteen percent of Americans, uh, meaning that eighty-five percent of Americans don't have two hundred thousand dollars coming into their family per year. So that's why we're hearing now the middle class is disappearing and all that is because the cost of living so high that wages and income and social security and pensions and all that haven't kept pace. So now people are being left behind, and more and more people are finding out uh, that they're falling back in the percentile of people in America. So it's good to know. If you want to learn about that, um, uh, you can go to, uh, what is it again? The website is Political Calculations Blog, uh, and you could just, uh, they have all kinds of graphs there. You can pretty much estimate, but they have a a little tool there where you can just simply... uh, Plug in your income individually or your family income and find out where you stand compared to other Americans. Good thing to know. Senior citizens are often uh, the victims of financial fraud. Uh, it's been happening for decades, but uh, uh, older Americans uh, reportedly lost $1.1 billion to fraud in 2022, according to the Annual Senate Committee on Aging Report released this month. And most of the scams use artificial intelligence technology. And what they're doing now is they're cloning 
the voices of people that, that, that you may know. And you're getting a phone call. It sounds like it's your grandson. It's, it's exactly his voice. And uh, he's in trouble somewhere, and he needs money right away. Could you wire it here? I need it for bail, or, or, or I've been kidnapped, or, or whatever. And people fall for this because it sounds just like them. Uh, and, and grandparents, they panic. And I, I think the $1.1 billion figure uh, in losses is, is, is surely an underestimate. It really has to be because it doesn't factor in the circumstances where uh, somebody's embarrassed and they just don't report it. And now there's calls in Congress for, for federal action to protect uh, seniors from these AI-generated scams. And that's the thing now. that There's little, little regulation now on, on, on artificial intelligence capacities, what it could do. And there was a hearing recently in Congress about it, and it seems that, you know, they're intent on trying to regulate that. And, and anybody, you know, it doesn't matter what your age is, your gender, or your background, anybody can fall victim to these, what are really very convincing scams. And some of the people that uh, testified, older people, I mean, it was heartbreaking. Some people lost a lot. Some people lost everything they had. And, and, and the top 10 categories of scams reported in the fraud book uh, were financial impersonation and fraud, robocalls. Well, we all love those, don't we? Computer scams like phishing, where you get an email, uh, we need you to update your information, and it looks like it's uh, uh, your bank. They're very convincing, these websites. It looks just like Bank of America's website. One of the things you always want to do, here's a little tip for you uh, to avoid a scam when it comes to email, is to look at the email address, address where it comes from. Because it's not going to be bankofamerica.com. All right? It's going to be some weird email address that has nothing to do with that financial institution. So be very careful. Don't even open it. Uh, if you're not sure about it. Now, I run a financial institution, so we, we have to, um, our cybersecurity is very, very, very top of the line. And our broker-dealer is always stressing the importance of cybersecurity uh, because there is such sophisticated methods now. And now you're seeing uh, two-tier authentication. Like uh, if, if, if I go into, uh, uh, say, the program that I use to trade securities for my clients, then I have to go on my phone and get an author uh, authentication code that I have to plug in. So I put the password in, my username, and then I got to put the code that goes to my phone. So that prevents anybody from, from stealing my password uh, and trying to get into my program because they're not going to have the authentic uh, authenticity code that was sent to my cell phone. Uh, so you see more and more of these security things coming on, but it's just impossible to completely insulate yourself from these scams. Um, one older couple, um, they were featured in a, a video, a testimony in the hearing. Uh, they, they received a call from who they thought was their daughter. She sounded distressed and asked for help. It sounded just like her. My daughter was, she was crying on the phone, profusely crying and saying, mom, mom, mom. And of course, my wife was saying, Leanne, Leanne, what is the matter? 
And she repeated it again, mom, mom, mom. And it sounded exactly like her. Um, that's what the victim said. Gary Schildhorn, a Philadelphia-based attorney and another targeted victim of an AI voice scam. They called voice cloning scam. He also testified at the hearing, and he said that um, he uh, almost, now this is an attorney, a Philadelphia attorney, right? They're supposed to be the best, right? Uh, almost sent 9000 to the scammer until he confirmed uh, with his daughter-in-law that it was an extortion attempt. And that's the thing, you know, if, you, if you're getting a, a message or a phone call from somebody, uh, don't send any money until you double check and make sure that it, uh, it is your daughter and, and your daughter's not home saying, I don't know what you're talking about, Mom. Now, the question is, I, I don't know the answer to this. How does the scammers get the voice of one of your loved ones, your daughter, your son, your grandkids? I don't know how that works, but they do. So in this case, the scammer, posing as an attorney, uh, called this other attorney requesting funds to bail his son out of jail for causing a car accident and failing a breathalyzer test. Now, maybe his son is the kind of guy that that wouldn't surprise him. I don't know. So this, uh, again, Philadelphia attorney goes on, there's no doubt in my mind that it was his voice on the phone. It was the exact cadence with which he speaks, he said. I sat motionless in my car just trying to process these events. How did they get my son's voice? The only conclusion I can come up with is that they used artificial intelligence or AI to clone his voice. It is manifestly apparent that this technology provides a riskless avenue for fraudsters to prey on us. Now, since no money was sent by this attorney, he figured it out. Uh, law, enforcement told him, uh, law enforcement told him that no crime had been committed and there's no further action to be taken. And it appears that, you know, law enforcement has no remedy for this. I mean, they, they don't know what to do. And uh, I don't really know what the answer is to it. But if anybody knows how to get your voice or they get your, your, your son or your daughter's voice and they're able to clone it, if you know how that's done, uh, send me an email, Lou at the financial physician.com. I'd love to know. And I'll share it with the rest of our listeners. But, you know, be very careful. Just don't think because it sounds like a loved one that it's definitely them, especially when money's involved. Your radar should go up right away. And, you know, emotionally, look, if, you know, I hear my daughter's, you know, it's her voice and she's crying on the phone and she's in trouble. The first thing you want to do is help her, right? But unfortunately, because of these people, and you know what? I, I, I've always had this. Anger, whenever I hear somebody scamming seniors or widows, I mean, there's a special place in hell for these people. Well, there should be. I mean, who would take advantage of an 80-year-old widowed woman and try to steal her life savings? Uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised about that. I mean, uh, I guess forever people have been preying on other people. Uh, there's really bad people out there. It seems like there's more bad people out there now than there ever has been before. But just be very careful. Uh, be very careful with requests for information on the internet, uh, emails. If you're not sure, don't respond to it. Just don't. All right? You know, the worst isn't going to happen to you if you don't do it. Uh, and most of the time, you're not going to get an email from your bank asking for your personal information. All right? They have your social security number. They have your birth date. 
They don't need you to update it. That's the thing. Once we're born, our birth date never changes. Our social security number never changes. So there's no reason to update this stuff. So uh, the average family now is, uh, is facing increasing financial difficulties due to uh, elevated inflation, uh, higher interest rates, maxed out credit cards, lack of personal savings. And um, we've had two years of, of negative real wage growth. What does that mean? Well, if inflation is going up 8% and your, your wages go up 3%, well, you have a negative 5%. You've, you've lost 5% in purchasing power. And uh, all due to the failures of Bidenomics, although Biden will come out and tell you it's all good, um, and his uh, spokeswoman, KJP, we'll get to her later, um, and the latest distress that a, a number of Americans are facing are upside-down auto loans. It's reached uh, the highest level in almost four years. According to Edmunds.com, that's the auto, automotive research firm, Edmunds, the number of Americans with auto loans underwater, and it was underwater to me, it means you owe more in the car than the car is worth. When I'm, talk, I'm not talking about delinquencies where people are behind on their payments. That's going on, too. But I'm talking about negative equity, underwater. The average, uh, um, the average now is six thousand fifty-four dollars. Negative equity, and why is that? Because now, because cars are so expensive and interest rates are so high, many Americans have taken out seven-year loans. And as soon as you drive a new car out of the lot, it drops twenty percent. And many Americans are underwater the first day they buy the car. And because they're paying mostly interest in the beginning of the loan, the car continues to depreciate, but the loan balance is still very high. And that's called underwater. And when people are underwater in any investment, whether it's a house or a car, you tend to not care about it very much. You don't care if you don't pay for it. You don't care if they take it away from you. If I owe $300,000 on my house and it's only worth two fifty, dollars here, here's the keys. What am I losing? Yeah, I'm losing a place to sleep and, you know, a house, but I'm not losing wealth. Same is true of a car. If I have a car uh, that's worth 20000 but my loan's 30000 I'll take the car. I'm not losing any wealth in this. And that's what Amer many Americans are doing. We're seeing an uptick, a uh, substantial uptick in uh, repossessions due to negative equity. Due to high interest rates, high payments. It's amazing how high, high car payments are now. I mean, many Americans are paying over $1,000 a month for a car. I mean, that's insane. You should never allow that to happen to yourself unless you're wealthy. And I'm not talking about Mercedes. I'm talking about, you know, average American cars. I mean, you know, what is it now? 50000 for an average car? And the thing with most Americans is that when they buy a car, they have negative equity from their previous car, which the car dealership and finance is more than happy to roll that negative balance into the new loan to make the sale. So a lot of Americans are perpetually underwater, and it gets worse and worse, and it compounds when you continue to do that. You continue to buy a different car with negative equity from the previous car. Now, there's a perfect storm, and I, I told you this earlier this, this year, uh, hitting uh, the United States auto market right now. And uh, 
the average new car loan has reached a record high $40,000. What's the payment on a $40,000 car loan? Well, it depends on the interest rate. It depends on the term, how long it is. But that's why many Americans are taking the seven-year loan. And it's inevitable they're going to be underwater if they're not underwater the first day. And, and, and most Americans can't afford their car payments right now. And we're seeing car debt now reach uh, record highs. And um, we're in a, situ- in a situation now where uh, the high cost of vehicles and the high interest rates being historically high right now, you have a lot of people that are in bad car loans. And you had many uh, banks and stuff willing to finance subprime auto borrowers. And let's look at the subprime market. How many people? 6.11% are at least 60 days past due on their car loans. Subprime auto borrowers. That's the highest level ever. And that doesn't bode well for the economy, for the auto market, and for the average family. Uh, so car is one of the big reasons why people fail financially. You know, it's, it always comes down to two things, uh, success and failure financially. It's cars and homes, how you buy them, how much you spend for them, how you finance them, make all the difference. And when I sit down with younger couples, you know, that want to do retirement planning, usually they're late to the game. They're in their 50s. Uh, and they tell me, Lou, you know, we make pretty decent money, but we don't seem to be able to save anything for the future. Well, the first thing I ask, okay, uh, tell me about your mortgage. How much are you paying a month, principal and interest? How much are you paying for property taxes? What's your house worth? What's your mortgage balance? What's the interest rate on your mortgage? Tell me about your cars. Uh, what's it worth? How much you owe on each car? What's the interest rate? And what's the payment? Well, when I see that, you know, husband and wife are each paying close to $500 a month for their, their car, uh, and they have negative equity in it at the same time, well, there's your reason why you're not building wealth. And for some reason, Americans believe that they should have a new car every three or four years. And, and, and that's That's ridiculous. You know, when I was younger, back in the day when I was younger, I guess as I get older, I'm in my 60s now, I guess I could start talking like that. Uh, back in the day when I was younger, uh, there was always jalopies around. I mean, most cars were old. Come on, we all remember getting a, a wire coat hanger to help uh, support our muffler that was hanging off. I can't tell you how many times I was under my car tying up the muffler. You know, in 1966, my dad bought um, a Ford station wagon. Brand new. And uh, in uh, 1977, we talk 11 years later, I got my license. I was 17. And my dad gave me that car. I had it for two and a half years. Then it became my younger brother's car. And he had it for another two years. So we probably got 17, 18 years out of that one car. 
But that's not the way people do it now. The way people do it now is that every as soon as my loan is paid off, if that ever happens, uh, because many Mar- Americans don't even wait for their loan to be paid off. They turn in the car and then they buy a new car and the dealer's happy to roll over the other loan into this one. Again, that's a disaster. Uh, and, and unfortunately, too many Americans can't go and pay cash for a car these days. I mean, the average is $50,000 for a car. Uh, and many of them are taking out loans. And right now, you know, depending on your credit rating, I mean, we're seeing double-digit interest rates on, on car loans, or at least in the high single digits. Even if you have great credit, you know, you're paying 7%. So cars and homes, the decisions we make on them drive everything. And I use the word drive, um, uh, I, no pun intended. But it drives everything, your choices on cars and homes. And it comes down to uh, responsibility. It comes down to uh, um, discipline, to buy a house that you could afford under the right terms, not buying too much house. And again, back in the day, to <laughs> to reveal my age, uh, I was the oldest of six kids. And believe me, I don't come for money. <laughs> I don't. Uh, just the opposite. Um, and uh, I was the oldest of six kids. We lived in a, uh, what turned out to be a three-bedroom, it was really a two-bedroom Cape Cod house. And we all lived in there. We had one functioning bathroom. Imagine that, uh, uh, six kids trying to get ready for school, uh, two of them being women, girls. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it was interesting. Uh, my mother had four children, starting with me, uh, in four years. My brothers and sisters, my, my three other brothers and sisters, one year apart. We're all one year apart. And then she waited 10 or 11 years and had two kids more down the line. But the four of us were in high school together. You know, we were all getting ready for school at the same time. It's quite interesting. But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, that's what they could afford. You know, it was was reasonable. Uh, Now, I didn't think that we were uh, deprived in any way. That's the way I grew up. Uh, But nowadays, you know, you have a family of four uh, living in a McMansion with five bedrooms, four bathrooms, finished basement, built-in pool. Uh, Nice. But too many people shouldn't have that much home because it takes away from their ability to build net worth, the ability to to put money into retirement plans and save for the future. So these are decisions that we make, and they're lifestyle decisions, but they're financial decisions, first and foremost, and too many Americans make the wrong decisions. And they don't, you know, they'll they'll worry about retirement when retirement comes. That's 30 years from now. I'm not going to worry about it now. I'm just going to live the good life. I want to keep up with my neighbors and the Joneses next door. And the thing to keep in mind, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, you see somebody with two beautiful cars in the driveway, nice house, uh, you think they're wealthy. More often than not, they're not. Their net worth is terrible. They have nice things, but they have huge debts and little in the way of savings. You know who the millionaires are? The ones with the small houses, the car that they've had for 10, 12 years, paid off. You know, a book came out, God, it must be 30 years ago. It was called The Millionaire Next Door. 
And when I started in radio on WTTM, I'll never forget that station, WTTM in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, I did the first uh, financial show uh, that I ever did uh, at that station. And I was a guest on a program. I was scared crap. I was so nervous. I did the show. I must have done a decent job because the program director, after the show was over, offered me my own show. And that's how I got into radio. And I've been doing radio for 24 years, actually 25 years when you count TTM into it. And now we're doing the podcast. But that was the start of my radio career. I didn't, I didn't go out there and try to be a radio talk show host. It basically fell on my lap. And then we took it to WOBM, where uh, most of my radio career was WOBM, and we spent a couple of years on XM Satellite Radio, and many of you who listen to the podcast around the country know me from um, the XM program. Anyway, what's my point? Oh, the point was that on WTTM, on my show there, I interviewed uh, the author of the book, a millionaire, uh, The Millionaire Next Door. And I forgot the gentleman's name. Uh, I should remember, but it doesn't come to me right now. Anyway, and he was saying that, you know, the millionaire next door, he goes, is the person that may have a small business, uh, lives very responsibly, lives very frugally. You won't know they're a millionaire by looking at them. You won't know they're a millionaire by looking at their car or their home because the reason why they're a millionaire is because they don't waste their money on that stuff, ego stuff. Their money's invested. It's in stocks and bonds. It's in retirement plans. It's in real estate. They have very little debt because they live within their means. And that's how they became a millionaire. Uh, you know, many people think, well, most people, millionaires inherited the money. No, they worked really hard. Now, there's a there's a balance that has to be achieved. I mean, you don't want to work hard. I mean, I, I don't get it. I mean, I know people um, who run their businesses, you know, work 12-hour days, uh, six days a week, uh, never travel, you know, don't enjoy their money. They're very wealthy. But what's the good of having money if you don't have a good life? You know, and that that's the thing. I mean, you could be overly frugal, and uh, you could be overly uh, extravagant in your spending. So you, you got to find a fine medium here. And that's a balanced life. That, that's how you become a money master in your life, is that you have that, you strike that balance between enjoying your life, enjoying the fruits of your labor, and making sure that you're planning for the future. And that's who the millionaire next door is. So don't judge your neighbors and everybody else and say, well, they must be doing really good because they got that new car. Well, you know, uh, sit down at their kitchen table when they're paying their bills and watch the check they write to the bank for that car or that house. Uh, never, never judge a book by its cover. Now, that's another thing, too, is I've learned that uh, in my practice. Sometimes a new client will come in and, you know, they look like they just came uh, off the street, you know, a homeless person. And they have millions of dollars. So, And I've had people come in with the nicest suit and beautiful car um, and uh, have very little. So, again, it, it never judge your book by its cover. You don't really know what their financial situation is. And, uh, and too many Americans fail financially because of homes and cars. And you don't want to straighten out your life? That's what I tell people. Downsize your house. Sell your house. Buy a smaller house with a smaller mortgage, buy a used car instead of a new one, 
once you pay off the loan, don't trade into a new car. Keep until it's dead or until it becomes either a safety issue uh, or you just put too much money into it to keep it roadworthy. But, you know, I keep my own cars. Uh, God, I've kept, uh, I kept a car 12 years. Uh, if you take care of cars nowadays, especially if you don't buy American, uh, I'm sure <laughs> United Auto Workers Union won't like that. But if you buy a, a good um, Honda or a Hyundai or uh, a good Asian car uh, and you take care of it, it's going to last 250,000 miles. But the problem with most Americans is they want the newest, the greatest. We're being advertised to constantly. You put on a football game, all you see is, you know, car and truck commercials, right? Trying to tell you why you need the new F50, F-150 Ford truck. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's nice to be car debt free. It's just amazing how people want a perpetual car payment their whole lives. I, I never got that. You know, I like to buy a car. Now, you know, I'm blessed to have the ability to pay cash for a car when I buy it. Uh, but even when I was uh, taking car loans earlier in my, my career, um, I couldn't wait to pay it off. I couldn't wait to get to that last payment. Not so I could turn it in and get a new car, because now I could have a period in my life where I don't have any car payment. It's very fulfilling to have that. And then later in my life, uh, I was fortunate enough to pay off my mortgage. Now I don't have a mortgage payment. Um, it's nice not to have any debt in your life, and that's the goal we all need to have, especially as we're getting into retirement. Too many retired people now. You want to talk about a change in what I've seen in my 40-year career? So many more people entering retirement or in retirement now have mortgages, have car payments. Earlier in my career, I didn't see that very often. You know, most family lived, lived in the same house their whole lives, pretty much. And after 30 years, their mortgage was paid off. They, had, they didn't have a mortgage. Most of them didn't have car payments. Once their cars were paid off, they kept them. And they had a pension, which uh, many people in retirement don't have now, in addition to Social Security. So I'm seeing a change where retired people were much more financially healthy a few decades ago versus people today who are entering retirement with mega debt. And I said it on this program many times. The big, the big financial story in the future is going to be the record level of elderly poverty. And I, I hate to say that. Uh, it's, 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 it saddens me. And it saddens me every time I see uh, an 80-something-year-old senior uh, working in a supermarket. Because you know they don't want to be there. They're there because they have to be there. And this all comes back down to everything we've been talking about here. Cars and homes and the decisions that we make, buying them, financing them, how long we keep them. And the secret to financial success is very simple. Very, very simple. Be smart in the size home you buy. Be smart in how you buy cars and how you finance them and how long you keep them. That is the recipe for financial success. It's not difficult. You know, you don't need to read my book to figure it out. It's that simple. Cars and homes. And uh, now it's a little bit more complicated than that, but it's cars and homes and the decisions we make. So make the right decision. All right, let's take a quick break. My name's Lou Scatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. 
Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Registered Investment Advisory Services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Hey, welcome back to our Christmas Eve edition of the Financial Physician. Luz Katigna here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing the podcast with friends and family. And uh, I love Charlie Brown. I love Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, Moreover, though, I'd love the Vince Guaraldi trio uh, soundtrack to that. Now, that song, Linus and Lucy, um, it's probably the most, one of the most recognizable Christmas songs. But it's not a Christmas song at all. As a matter of fact, um, when Vince Guaraldi um, wrote that, uh, it was just for general for the, the Peanuts franchise for any show. It wasn't meant for Christmas. But when... Uh, uh, George Schultz, uh, Charles Schultz, who was it? What was his name? Well, the guy who wrote Peanuts heard the music. Uh, he knew that, that that music was special, and he decided to use it uh, on his Christmas special. So that's where we get Linus and Lucy, uh, one of the more recognizable Christmas musics. But the, the whole album is fantastic. I mean, it's jazz. I mean, it's, it's all jazz music. Uh, and to put jazz music... Uh, to a, a Christmas cartoon. I thought that was ingenious. And it's one of my favorite Christmas albums. Would you like to get in touch with me? Just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails. I answer each and every one. If I don't, just send it again. As you know, we all get these crazy, I'm a crazy amount of junk emails, and it's very easy. I get so many emails from listeners, from clients, uh, junk emails. Uh, it could easily get lost. So just send it again. Just make sure that the subject heading uh, 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 will get my attention, and I'll answer each and every one. So if you have a personal finance issue uh, or a question, uh, I'm more than happy to help you with that. Or if you want me to cover something on the program that I haven't covered, or you want me to cover it again, or you just have a comment on something I said or, or, or talked about on the program, just send me an email, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Uh, now, uh, the Biden administration and Biden himself um, like to tell us that Bidenomics is working, that things are great for Americans. And I laid out earlier in the program how many people are underwater on their car loans, how many people are delinquent, uh, 
repossessions, people struggling to put food on the table, gas in their cars. Uh, it is it's tough out there. Now, this week, uh, case in point, um, uh, my wife and I wanted to make a financial donation to the local food pantry. Uh, so my wife is going to go down there and drop off a check. In the middle of the day, I get a call from her at my office, and she's sobbing. I go, honey, what's the matter? You know, what's going on? She goes, I just left the food bank, and she said, Lou, she goes, I can't believe how many people were there trying to get free food. It just hit her right in the face. Um, and that's not... You know, we have a relatively small town, I mean, mid-sized town. But she goes, I couldn't believe the line of people to get free food. And, uh, and that's true all across the country right now. We're hearing it from food banks, you know, all across the country. They've never been busier. And if you want to do a, a very charitable thing, if you have the ability to do it, that's a charity that you should be doing. Make a donation to your local food bank. Virtually all, every dollar you give them is going to food for some family. And I can't think of a better way um, to be charitable is to either volunteer at the food bank. Hey, you don't have the financial resources to do it, but maybe you can go down there and help. If you have the financial resources to do it, then write a check. If you have um, the ability to just go out and buy, you know, a case of canned corn, every little bit helps. But that's, that's how bad it is out there for many families. And many of the families that are in food banks now, they're working families. They're not homeless. Now, I told you last week we have a record amount of homelessness in the country right now, and that's growing by the day. Um, you know, that's a problem too. But many of these people are working poor. I mean, the husband and wife work. But once they pay their mortgage, their car payments, and uh, their insurance and cell phone bills and everything else, there's just not enough for food. And, uh, and, and they're, they're making it up through food banks and, and food drives. And, and, and many of these people say, I never bought, thought I would ever see myself uh, at a food bank to get free food because I was struggling. And that's Bidenomics for you. Um, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And anyway, I just wanted to convey that story. My wife was sobbing. She was so upset that that many people uh, are in need. And it's uh, a sign of the times. All right, what, was, uh, what is probably the most outrageous attack on U.S. democracy that we've seen so far in this presidential election cycle? As you know, the Colorado Supreme Court voted four to three to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot in Colorado because of uh, the supposed insurrection that he took part in. An insurrection that he hasn't been convicted of, nor has he been charged with anything regarding insurrection. But these four Democratic left-wing lunatics that call themselves Supreme Court judges in Colorado decided to convict Trump of a crime that he never committed, He's never been charged with, and he hasn't been found guilty of. This is election interference that it's gone out of control. I mean, think about what they've done to this man. I mean, he's got 91 indictments against him, not one for insurrection, by the way, or sedition. That never happened. Uh, 
and, and now uh, you got these. Now, this is not just Colorado. This is going on in 10 states that are trying to get them off the ballot. I mean, we've gone, you know, off the cliff here. Uh, and talk about destabilizing democracy in this country. These four justices, what they've just done was destabilize what has been a stable system of democracy in America. Not allowing the people to decide who they want their nominee to be and who they want their president to be. Uh, this is really starting to get, I don't want to say scary, but it's just insane. There's that word again. Uh, and everybody knows it. Now the Supreme Court's going to overturn this. And what, what's interesting about this thing is these four lunatics, first of all, all seven, uh, all, all of these judges, all seven of them uh, in Colorado are all Democrats, crazy Democrats. Now three of them couldn't even put their name to this. They, they just dissented and said, well, we're not going there. But these four other ones who are left-wing crazies, Decided to throw the country. Jonathan Turley, I'll play some of him later. He said that the, the, the country right now is a powder keg, and these four justices are just th- throwing lit matches at it. And uh, it's totally outrageous. They'll stop at nothing. These people are so deranged about Trump. Oh, they're so scared of him, what he's going to do once he comes back. You know, they have the narrative now he's going to be authoritarian, he's Hitler, he's going to lock up illegals, and he's going to kill his people. You know, that's, that's their narrative now. That Trump has to be stopped at any cost. That's another thing they're saying, including Biden, uh, which is uh, uh, short for killing the guy. And I said last week, I fear for his life. I really do. I mean, if they're going to do this stuff that is so irresponsible uh, uh, and, and, and the persecution, where will they stop? They don't want him in power, period. And they don't want you, MAGA people, Right to have any say in what happens in this country. They just want you to take the left-wing, woke, insane policies of the left. And I said many times, we're in the middle of a revolution, a left-wing Marxist takeover of the country. And unless we push back, I'm telling you, uh, we're going to turn. Now, I will say this. These four justices just gave Trump the presidency in 2024. Anytime they do this stuff, Trump's numbers go up. I'm sure he probably went up five points against Biden now. and he's, It's going to be a landslide. They know it. That's why they're so desperate to try to get him in jail, to try to get him off the ballot. Look, you know, if, nobody's going to vote for an insurrectionist. If, if, if the people of Colorado believe he's an insurrectionist, they won't vote for him. But they know he's going to win. Boy, I tell you, it'd be great if he wins Colorado now. Because he, he really didn't have a snowball's chance in hell in Colorado. Maybe maybe he was closing the gap. Maybe now he will. Wouldn't that be great? And everything they do has the opposite effect with Trump. The more you indict him, the more his numbers go up. The more people rally around him. And now Americans know, especially you know Republicans and some independents, that this is this is outrageous to try to eliminate somebody off the ballot. Now they they. They went to such a stretch to use the 14th Amendment, which has to do with the Confederacy after the Civil War, that they couldn't, uh, if they were insurrectionists, uh, they couldn't become a senator or a representative. That's what it was about. And they're trying to make this great leap uh, to Trump. Again, he hasn't been charged with anything, hasn't been convicted of anything regarding insurrection. Now, the Supreme Court uh, will overturn this, uh, hopefully in a unanimous vote. 
we can't have division on this. I mean, it, this has got to be put to the end. Because there's 10 other, there's 10 other states, blue states, looking to do this. Including California, New Jersey, a uh, bunch of them. And uh, this just can't stand. What's next? I mean, it, it just doesn't end with these people. I've never seen anything like it. Even Elon Musk came out and he tweeted, he said, uh, the actions that these judges take will have the opposite effect than they intended. And boy, I tell you, these these justices gave the MAGA movement the best Christmas present ever because it's going to backfire. And then what they did is they stayed their own decision the same day. Saying that, well, well, we know it's going to take it to the Supreme Court, so we're not going to enforce this until the Supreme Court rules. I've never seen anything like that. A judge, judges put out a decision and then stay their own decision immediately and kick it off to the Supreme Court. Who's going to throw it out? And hopefully they'll do it quickly. So right now, Trump's still on the ballot. Now the Supreme Court, you know, U.S. Supreme Court, He's going to have to act on this relatively quickly because, uh, you know, he was supposed to come off the ballot in early January. Now, they've stayed their own ruling, so we'll see where it goes. Now, Trump right now uh, is way ahead in five out of six swing states and way ahead in the popular vote and everything else. So Biden's in trouble. He's not going to get reelected if he's the candidate. Trump most likely is going to be elected. I don't think they could cheat enough. And what are they going to do about it? Now, what it does tell you is how desperate the Democrats are in this country and how delusional they are. Uh, They know he's going to win. So they're trying everything they can to keep him off the ballot. They know they're going to lose. And uh, if they don't know, uh, if they think Trump's a loser and, you know, the country doesn't want him as president, they should be rooting for him to win the nomination and run against Biden. Why indict him and make him stronger? They've made him a sympathetic victim. They made him a martyr. And if he's so unpopular uh, with the public, uh, why wouldn't you want him to run? You know, many of these, these judges around the country, these Democratic judges that they shop for, and many Democrats in general, are evil. These are evil people. They're radical communists. They hate America. They hate capitalism. They hate God. And they're intentionally trying to divide and destroy the country. And many of these people are mentally ill with Trump derangement syndrome. They see Trump and they can't help themselves. They act irrationally delusionary. They throw the rule of law and they shred the Constitution. They, they, they throw them out the window to stop Trump. And uh, many of these judges and Democrats in general are so corrupt, compromised, they're dirty. Just like Biden and his boss Obama. They're bribed, they're owned by China. Mexican drug cartels, George Soros, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. The WHO, the UN, and uh, they're out of control. Now you have the tit for tat. It's going to happen. 
now you have red states talking about keeping Biden off the, the ballot. You see where this goes? This is so silly. This is so outrageous. It's so destabilizing to our country. But they don't care. That's the thing. I've always tried to tell you that. The left in this country don't care. They don't care what you think. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about democracy. They only care about their power. And they're willing to do anything to keep it, to get it, including rigging elections, persecuting, raiding the home of a former president, 91 indictments, and now you have uh, leftist uh, judges deciding who should and should not be on a ballot. And then you're going to have the tit for tat. What, what, what's an election going to be like? Trump's going to be uh, off of uh, eight states and uh, Biden will be off uh, 10 states. How do you have an election like that? And how do you accept the results of an election when uh, two, two of the states or three of the states or five of the states and their electoral votes are not in play? This is really, really destabilizing to the democracy of America. I, I'm telling you, it's, it should bother everybody. I don't care if you like Trump or hate Trump. That's not, that's not the issue. The issue is democracy and the power of the people to choose their nominee and to choose their leaders, not some court somewhere. Now, uh, Alan Dershowitz, not a big fan of Trump, uh, certainly a Democrat. Uh, he had a lot of comments on this, as did Jonathan Turley. Um, these are constitutional experts, professors, uh, and it's purely, and they, they'll, they'll note it, it's purely unconstitutional. Uh, here's Dershowitz's take on it. Uh, this was an attempt to totally manipulate an amendment that was never designed to disqualify people in future elections. It was a Civil War amendment. It's right. an attempt to manipulate this amendment just to get Trump. Title of my book, Get Trump. Uh, this is just another example of that. If you look at the Constitution, it is as clear as could be that the 14th Amendment can be implemented only by Congress, not by state legislatures. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article, and it's logical. Remember who wrote the 14th Amendment? Radical Republican Reconstructionists. You mm -hmm. think they would give the power to decide who's going to run for president? To Mississippi and Alabama? Of course not. It's the most absurd argument historically and constitutionally. And the text of the amendment doesn't even apply to the president of the United States. It applies to senators, representatives, and electors. So this is a stretch beyond all stretching. Now, he's asked uh, in the interview, um, do you think that the Supreme Court will take this, um, this up, this uh, Colorado thing? And it's pretty obvious that they have to. This one, they have no choice on. They have a choice on the immunity. They can put that off. Trump today came in and said, we don't want to rush this, do it in the normal way. This one they have to take because he's going to be taken off the ballot in early January. So my prediction is they'll give a stay. There's already a stay in the state court, but it's only until early January. They'll give a stay that takes us probably through the primary. Uh, Jonathan Turley is a... Uh a constitutional um, law professor at Washington University. And he's on Fox News all the time. He's their resident constitutional scholar. And uh, they asked him his opinion on this, and uh, uh, this is what he had to say, he's specifically regarding the fact that um, Trump hasn't been charged with insurrection, so how, how could you even use that um, as a, a reason to block him off the ballot in Colorado? 
Notably, Trump was not charged with that. You had a very motivated special counsel in Jack Smith who hit Trump with anything he could, but he conspicuously left out incitement, insurrection, sedition, because he couldn't prove it, because the evidence is not there. So that only adds to the problems here. But the, the real issue for the Supreme Court is far more fundamental and, frankly, chilling. You know, this country is the most successful and stable constitutional system in history. Now, after two centuries of that, uh, what these four justices have done was to is to introduce a destabilizing element in that system. Uh, and it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And this may be the ultimate challenge for Chief Justice Roberts. I don't have much question they will overturn this decision. But they should do it unanimously. They should do it in one voice. That is All nine. Not, not, and, and not divide on this. It's too important not to speak as one. Yeah, that is something to watch for. Meanwhile, we remember moments like this. Flashback to Joe Biden on Donald Trump. This was November 2022, Jonathan. Listen. We just have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by, uh, if, we, uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. Well, the president's remarks uh, really are troubling because it, it sends that by any means uh, message uh, that will use any means possible to keep Trump out of office. Uh, no one is worth shredding the Constitution. Uh, what, what is being done here is dangerous. The path that was laid out by these four justices is a path we should not go down. And we should, as a united people, Democrats and Republicans, like the Democrats that descended on this court, say enough. Jonathan, they don't far. care. Uh, they just don't care. It's just Trump derangement syndrome. And like Biden said, we're going to stop him by any means necessary, regardless of what the electorate want. See, that's the thing about this is it doesn't matter what the people vote for. They're going to stop them because they don't care what you want. That's what you have to understand about these people. They don't care. They don't care what rules they break. They don't care what laws they break. They don't care what constitution they break as long as they stay in power. And the problem is the Republicans don't have the balls to do what they do. I'd be surprised if we see uh, Republican states starting to do the same thing with Biden. The Democrats don't fight fair. They never have. They never will. They'll cheat. They'll steal. They'll rig elections. They'll do anything it takes. Whereas Republicans try to play by the rules of the game. And it's pretty hard to win a game when the other side's always cheating. And you always play by the rules. Um, I don't believe this tit-for-tat thing is the way to go either. It's not good for our country. It really isn't. But the bottom line is... Uh, Trump uh, is going to get the nomination. As it stands right now, if uh, Joe Biden is the nominee, Trump will win by a landslide. The question is, then what? Do you think that the left in this country is just going to just, you know, to just accept it? Donald Trump wins the election. He's the next president. Do you not think that there's riots planned? Uh, that would make uh, the, the George Floyd riots look like nothing? They will not accept losing power, I'm telling you. And there'll be riots. Uh, God knows what these crazy people and journalists will say and incite. Uh, our country, 2024, is going to be uh, one for the ages. 
It's a danger. It's one of the more dangerous times in our country's history. Now, the next couple of weeks are our big weeks for the show. Uh, next week, we're going to do our 2023 uh, review, financial and political. And we'll compare it to what some of my forecasts were. Uh, and then uh, the following week, uh, so I guess that would be uh, New Year's Eve. And then the following week, I'm going to do my 2024 forecast. And boy, let me tell you, uh, I've been working on this for some time. Uh, it's a doozy. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Uh, but this is going to be uh, one of the more volatile, unstable times in our country's history. And it's because of people like these Colorado judges that don't care about the Constitution, do not care about uh, the divisiveness that, that they're causing, the shredding of our Constitution and democracy. They don't care. And these are judges. These are Supreme Court judges. Imagine what the wacko leftists in this country. Well, they must be wacko to do this. But uh, we're in for some um, very, very dangerous waters in 2024. Harry Dent is a, an economist. He was a professor, I believe, from Yale. Uh, he owns his uh, own money management firm. And he came out this week with very, very dire predictions on the economy. He said since 2009, this has been 100% artificial, unprecedented money printing and deficits. $27 trillion over 15 years to be exact. This is off the charts, 100% artificial, which means we're in a dangerous state. I think 2024 is going to be the biggest single crash year we'll see in our lifetime. Wow. He goes on to say we need to get back down to normal and we need to send a message to central banks. This should be a lesson I don't think we'll ever revisit. I don't think we'll ever see a bubble for any of our lifetimes again. Pretty dire. And he's a smart guy. And he goes on to say things are not going to come back to normal in a couple of years. And he said, we may never see these levels in the stock market again in our lifetime. And he said, this, this crash is, is not going to be a correction. It's going to be more in the 29 to 32 level, meaning 1929 to 32. And he goes on to say, and anybody who sat through that would have shot their stockbroker. That doesn't make me feel good. Uh, so he's talking about the Great Depression. If I'm right, it's going to be the biggest crash of our lifetime, most of it happening in 2024. And you're going to see it start and be more obvious by May. So uh, let's hope he's wrong. Uh, uh, the worst crash in our lifetimes. Um, in the midst of an, an election year, uh, volatility in this country, uh, that's the last thing we need in 2024 is a financial meltdown. So he goes on to say that if, if you get out of the market, get out of the stock market for six to 12 months, just next year, and that you'll be able to buy back probably a year, year and a half from now at unbelievably low prices and magnify your gains beyond compare. So that's the thing. He's saying that it's, uh, it's time to get out, keep your cash dry. Uh, and go back in after the crash. And that's really where people make their money. You know, when you buy when everybody else is selling, uh, that's always been true. You know, the 2008, 2008 financial crisis, um, the lows in 1987 when the market crashed, you can go back. That's where you make money, buying low, right? 
But right now we have people chasing the market because they feel they're, they're missing out. Because the market has gone straight up since the bottom in October, mainly due to the fact that people believe that the Fed is going to start lowering interest rates next year. But if they do, the reason why they're going to be lowering interest rates is because we're going to be in a recession. Uh, not for any other reason. So I think that the market is, is misthinking this. I mean, lowering interest rates is not always good for the stock market, especially if they're lowering it because the economy is in the tank. Or according to Harry Dentier, is because the markets have crashed. Now, of course, there's other uh, economists at Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan that, that are saying the opposite, that uh, uh, the S&P 500 is going to go up uh, another 10% next year. And you know, nobody knows till the market, the market year is over, right? Uh, back in October, everybody thought that we were um, heading for a major, major decline and the highs were in in the market and then uh, only to rip straight up in two months. And uh, the markets are closing out what is a very, very good year. So only time will tell. And I'll give you my predictions on uh, the stock market, the bond market, gold, oil, Bitcoin. Uh, not next week, but uh, the week after on my 2024 forecast. So Biden's sinking in the polls daily. Uh, Democrats are freaking out. Uh, the media is freaking out. Same as Democrats, same thing. Uh, and they're getting uh, a little delusional, and they're getting uh, slightly insane. I shouldn't say slightly, really insane. Thinking about any way to stop Trump. But Biden doesn't help himself. And the Biden administration don't help themselves either. They trot him out in all these different public appearances, the guy can't get through a public appearance without stammering, not knowing where he is, stumbling on his words. Uh, this week, I forgot exactly where he was. doesn't really matter. But just listen, just listen to him talk. This is a guy who wants to be president for four more years. Uh, it's still a year from now before he started his four-year term. Uh, the, guy, the guy is gone. I come from a state that has the eighth largest black population in the country. And uh, as they say, the saying goes, where I come, you bring me to the dance early on. The Biden administration, you know how they have a uh, uh, person doing the, the sign language for deaf people? <laughs> we, we need an interpreter to interpret uh, what he's saying. How would you like to be the sign language person that's trying to interpret the things that he says? <laughs> do, do you mumble? Can you mumble with sign language? I don't know. Oh, but there's more. There's always more. Across the country, wages for workers are up. Black wealth is a record up record 60% since the pandemic. So many of you, look. And by the way, we're just, I mean this is from the bottom of my heart, we're just getting started. Black wealth is up 60% since the pandemic? Uh, uh, I don't think that's true, Joey. Uh <laughs> and if it was true, it's not because of you. Uh, but I doubt, I seriously doubt, in the last three years, uh, the average black family's wealth has gone up 60%. And you hear the people clapping in the background like, oh, that's so great. Uh, <laughs> no question. Now, the thing is, is at least we know we have Kamala Harris, you know, uh, to step in if Joe can't do it anymore. Um, and of course, when she, anywhere she goes to talk. Now, she's not senile, so she doesn't have the excuse uh, that Biden has. I mean, he's lost it. But Kamala Harris supposedly still has a mind left. Uh, 
But every time she speaks, it's word salad. Now, I've never heard that term before, before Kamala Harris was elected vice president or was campaigning. I never heard the word word salad phrase before. Uh, but boy, uh, she's mastered it. Uh, this was her this week. You know, every election cycle, we talk about this is the most election of our lifetime. Lawrence, this one is. This one is. We are literally talking about people who are attempting to divide our country in the most crude, frankly, and profound way. We are talking about those who are intent and purposeful to, to attack fundamental freedoms, be it the freedom to make a decision about your own body, the freedom to love who you love openly and with pride, the freedom to be free from fear of violence and hate, the freedom to just be, the freedom to just be. The most election is what she said. I, uh, Kamala, I think you left out an adjective. And isn't it amazing that everything they do, they project on their opponents, right? They're the ones that are the divisive ones. They're the ones that are a threat to democracy. Just look what these Colorado judges did, right? The, the unrelenting persecution of an ex-president of the United States and a front-runner to be president again. Uh, these people are, are, are delusional, and they're insane, and they really believe it. That's the thing. Well, some of them know they're lying, especially the media. But she sounds like she, she really believes this. That's the Republicans who are dividing the country. Uh, and you could see at the end of that, it was all about the wokeness and who you could love and all that kind of stuff. We'll get into that. Let's just do uh, some more word salad from Kamala. Just because we can. At home one day and I said, well, what's, why are conservatives bad, mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve things. <laughs> I couldn't reconcile it. Now I can. <laughs> why is it that liberal women have such a crazy laugh? Like Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris. Those are the laughs of, uh, laughs of uh, a person that is, uh, uh, how should I say, not all there. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe a bit insane. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. Uh, be back right after these messages. Don't go away. AFM Investments' Lou Skatigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA, NSIPC, registered advisory services through our Advisors. Registered Investment Advisory Services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless market 
train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it's either Christmas Eve, if you're listening Sunday, Christmas Day on Monday, or just Christmas week. I want to wish you and your families all a wonderful uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, Although I'm not so sure that the new year is going to be happy, uh, but um, I guess it's good to be optimistic going into a new year. Everybody is, uh, but as I said earlier, 2024 is going to be a nightmare for this country. Uh, in so many ways, I hope I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. So the border crisis continues to spin out of control. It is uh, beyond outrageous now. We have twelve to 15,000 people coming in every single day. This is an invasion. And here's an article. Thousands of military-aged men from India, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East invaded Eagle Pass and Lukeville on Wednesday. December is on track to be a record month for illegal border crossings. According to the Customs and Border Protection, more than 300,000 illegals will likely pour into the U.S. in December on Joe Biden's open border invitation. You know how many 300,000 people are in one month? That's like five baseball stadiums full in four weeks. This is insanity. And uh, News Nation put out a video uh, of thousands of illegals, mainly military-age men, at Eagle Pass, Texas, um, waiting to be processed. And these border agents are just, they're overwhelmed. Thousands a day are coming through, tens of thousands. It's insane. And, and, And who are these people? We don't even know. But if you go out of the country, you have to go through customs and you have to go through immigration and they're going to have to take your picture and everything else. It's just unbelievable. Where, how do these people like India and China, how do they get to Mexico first to, to, to come into our country? Where's the money come from? So this invasion is like nothing we've ever seen before. And now uh, Texas Governor uh, Abbott, Greg Abbott, uh, is flying illegal aliens to sanctuary cities. Good for him. And now Texas passed a law, or he, or he passed something, where uh, the National Guard and police could just arrest illegals, and the Biden administration is fighting it. It's just unbelievable. What's going on here? Here's a woman that's uh, at the gate area, I think it's in Texas somewhere, and she sees all these illegals lined up to get on a plane and probably have no ID. I'm at the Phoenix airport right now. I'm waiting to board my fri- flight to New York, uh, to JFK. And it looks like we have a whole lot of migrants who are also boarding this flight that the U.S. taxpayers are paying for. This is what the U.S. taxpayers are paying for right here. Premium seats 
on Delta that they have people coming here. We're paying for this, shipping them out to New York City because guess what? Everywhere else is at capacity. So they have these sanctuary cities like New York that they're now shipping these migrants to that we're all paying for. This is treason. This is really what it is. I mean, you want to talk about indictments? This president, this vice president, the Homeland Security director, secretary, they should all be indicted for treason. They are allowing an invasion of our country with unvetted illegals. It's really quite outrageous. And they're encouraging it. That's the thing. They're doing nothing to stop it. And when Texas or Arizona does something to try to stop it, they get sued by the federal government. I mean, this is totally purposeful. Dan Patrick is the lieutenant governor uh, of, uh, of Texas. And he was on a Laura Ingram show this week, and he was talking about the new Texas law where they can arrest people that they see coming into the country illegally. And this is what the Biden administration is against. Dan, now the White House said today that this law won't make communities safer. Your response. So we spent a lot of time, Laura, in the Senate writing this bill along with the governor, and we believe we have a bill that will survive any type of Supreme Court challenge because we are being invaded. Uh, Arizona tried this about 10 years ago, but our law is different. It simply says that our law enforcement can arrest anyone, uh, take them in, uh, do a background check, photograph, do fingerprints. Uh, If they saw them cross the border illegally, uh, we can do that. Or if they happen to reveal in the arrest stop that they crossed illegally, and then the magistrate will send them back and will escort them to the border. Uh, and they have a choice. They can go to jail or they can go back. And if they go back and try to come back again and we arrest them again, the penalty gets even higher. We're fed up. In fact, seeing what happened in Colorado tonight, Laura, it makes me think, except we believe in democracy in Texas, maybe we should take Joe Biden off the ballot in Texas for allowing 8 million people to cross the border since he's been president, uh, disrupting our state far more than anything anyone else has done in recent history. And so um, this, is, uh, this is so outrageous, 10,000, 12,000, 14,000 people a day crossing the border, 8 million now, people the numbers, since he's been in yeah. office, enough to be the 12th largest state. Yeah. It's incredible. I don't know of any other country in the world that allows anybody to walk in. Try to do that into Mexico. See what happens to you. Try to do that into Russia or China. See what happens to you. But here in the United States, just come on in. We'll give you everything for free. It's uh, outrageous and dangerous to all of us, but they don't care. Uh, Republican Congressman uh, Tim Burchett, he sat for an interview with, uh, I think it was Benny Johnson this week. And during the interview, Congressman Burchett said that conservative lawmakers are being blackmailed after being caught naked in a bed with a honeypot. And that's why they're voting so crazy. Now, I've been hearing this for years that um, when, when you go to Washington, D.C., especially as a freshman congressman or just getting started in Congress, uh, not before long, uh, you'll be invited to a party and uh, uh, they'll drug your drink and you'll wake up uh, naked in bed with an underage girl or a guy if you're of that persuasion. 
and uh, and they use that videotape to blackmail you, especially in very important votes. Now, Tim Burchett comes out and says it. Uh, I mean, uh, who was it? Uh, Congressman Cawthorn. Remember last year he came out and said about this? Cocaine parties and orgies and everything else, and then they blackmail you. Well, well, he's been blackballed in Congress since saying that. Certain things you don't talk about, you know. Uh, but uh, Congressman Tim Burchett, uh, listen to what he has to say about how they do it. You know, the old honeypot, the Russians do that, and I'm sure members of Congress have been caught up. Why in the world... Would, would good conservatives vote for crazy stuff like the, what we've been seeing out of Congress? It's how it works. You're visiting, you're out of the country or out of town or you're in a motel or bar at, in D.C. and some whatever you're, you're into, women or men or whatever, comes up and they're very attractive and they're laughing at your jokes and, and, they, and you're buying them a drink. Next thing you know, you're in the motel room with them naked. And next thing you know... You know, you're about to make a key vote, and what happens? Some well-dressed person comes up and whispers in your ear, hey, man, there's tapes out on you. Were you in a motel room on whatever with whoever? And then you're like, uh-oh, and said, you really ought not be voting for this thing. I mean, you know, and what do they do? It's human nature. And, um, you know, no man or no woman actually is an island, and they know what to get at. You know, if it's women, drugs, booze, it'll find you in D.C., and in most elected offices. And that's what people of power and influence do. And it's just, you know, I've been in this game my whole life. I spent 16 years in the state legislature in Tennessee and eight years as county mayor. And now I'm in my fifth year of Congress. But it, it's just, it, it, the stakes are higher, but the, but the game is still the same. Well, everything's corrupted. Everything. It's scary to think that um, blackmail is used routinely in our Congress. And this isn't the first time I've heard it. I've talked about it on this program for years. Uh, so so if, you're, if you're a freshman congressman, uh, you better be very, very careful on what parties you go to and places that, that, that you drink uh, and try to avoid the temptation of, uh, of honeypots is what they call them. And uh, the Chinese and the Russians have been doing it for years to blackmail Americans turn them into spies and so forth. Uh, I guess men are weak, uh, although I'm sure women uh, can be blackmailed as well. Um, but uh, if true, and I believe it is, um, we can't trust nothing in government anymore. As many of you know, uh, Chick-fil-A is owned by a Christian family, and all Chick-fil-A's close on Sundays, um, which is a pretty interesting business move because, you know, it's one-seventh of your revenues, but you know, they believe that the Sabbath is a day that nobody should work, and they choose to close their private company uh, on Sundays. But that's not good enough for New York State lawmakers who introduced legislation that would force Chick-fil-A to stay open on Sundays. And it's called uh, the New York State Assembly's Rest Stop Restaurant Act would apply to Chick-fil-A, which is famously closed on Sundays. And what they're saying here is, well, this is on the throughway. This is rest stops. And it's a terrible inconvenience for travelers not to be able to get the Chick-fil-A one-seventh of the week. And uh, the bill claims that being closed on Sundays is, quote, a disservice and unnecessarily inconvenience for travelers. While there's nothing objectionable about a fast food restaurant closing on a particular day of the week, 
Service areas dedicated to travel is, is uh, an inappropriate location for such a restaurant. Publicly owned service areas should use their space to maximize benefit for the public. Allowing for retail space to go unused one-seventh of the week or more is a disservice and unnecessary inconvenience to travelers who rely on these service areas. And there are no religious exemptions for their bill. One of the bill's sponsors, Assemblyman Tony Simone, said, You know, we get hungry when we're traveling. We may not like our brother-in-law or sister-in-law's cooking and want to get a snack on Christmas Eve. To find one of the restaurants closed on the thruway is just not in the public good. Now, Chick-fil-A already has a 33-year contract with the thruway. So Simone goes on to add, the thruways are meant to serve New York travelers first, and that it's ridiculous that a food provider would be able to close on Sunday, one of the biggest travel days of the week. Now, of course, Chick-fil-A has been targeted by liberals for their support of religion, God, conservative organizations, uh, and they just don't stop. It's unbelievable trying to force a company to open when it's against their religion to work on a Sunday. I'm telling you, we're becoming more communist every single day. Your freedoms are being taken away. Government wants to dictate everything that we do including forcing a, um, a Christian uh, business to open on the Sabbath. Where does it end? Where does it end? All right, let's wrap up the show with a couple of, uh, it wouldn't be a normal financial position program if we don't talk about the crazy wokeness, the gender issues that our insane country is dealing with right now. Listen to this headline. Uh, Fairf- no, it's not a headline, but Fairfax, Fairfax County School Board Carl Frisch, now this is in Virginia, who is gay swore on the five LGBTQ theme books most frequently banned by other school systems. He was sworn in on a stack of the five LGBTQ theme books most frequently banned from the school system. Why are they banned from the school system? Because they're pornographic. He doesn't swear on a Bible. He swears on an LGBTQ pornography. Uh, this is where we are, people. The Satanic, Satanic Temple, uh, yes, that's actually a church, uh, if you want to call it that, has unveiled a new quote-unquote holiday display, this time at the Michigan State Capitol. Uh, now, I said there was one in Iowa uh, a week ago, a Baphomet statue. Uh, now there's one in um, a Satanic altar um, in uh, Michigan's capital, And it didn't take long for a Democrat to kiss it. Samantha Skorka, a Michigan Democrat staffer, posted a photo to Twitter of her kissing the satanic display. She calls it sexy. Uh, She wrote on her, um, she wrote this on her tweet before later deleting it. In the name of Satan, I claim the sexy satanic Baphomet goat altar at our Michigan capital Amen. She followed up her tweet with the holiday solstice greetings to pagans. So when people show you who they are, you have to believe them. They don't even hide it anymore. Michigan Democrats uh, recently passed legislation allowing abortion up to birth. That may explain why we have a Satan monument on state grounds, the state capital, 
boy, we're living in uh, really interesting times, to say the least. Right, check out this bit of insanity. Uh, the National Health Service in the UK has come under, under increased scrutiny after it rolled out a new 450 million pound IT system that only allows midwives to register the gender identity of newborn babies rather than their biological sex. So uh, some midwives have gone public with this, complaining that the new Epic computer system is forcing gender identities on newborns. Uh, how, does, how do you put the gender identity of a newborn? Do you ask them when they're born that day? Um, so the NA, uh, NHS comes out and says, quote, the hospital discharge summary is an important document for the baby to receive the best care from the whole NAS team. I mean, we're talking about newborn or very young babies here. What on earth is gender, gender identity got to do with that? It's ludicrous. One of the midwives uh, wives, uh, also claimed that there is now a climate of fear within the organization and that midwives are also being ordered to use terms such as birthing parent instead of mother and chest feeding rather than breastfeeding. Um, more woke transgender insanity. These people are mentally ill. All right, let's wrap it up uh, with something maybe a little Christmassy. But it's not what you think. A group put out a cartoonish kind of commercial, uh, and it's called A Very COVID Christmas. And in this commercial, they kill off Santa. It was the night before Christmas. Santa took a deep breath. If only he'd known it would lead to his death. Santa always listened when the famous doctors spoke. Too bad they didn't mention that the virus spreads like smoke. So make sure you get your vaccines. That's what this is all about. There's nothing sacred anymore. No, nothing is sacred anymore, that's for sure. We live in incredible, insane times uh wake me up this can't be real anyway we're at the end of our show ended a little early today being christmas and all that stuff and i want to wish everybody all my listeners a wonderful merry christmas and happy new year uh anybody wants to get in touch with me my email address is lou at the financial physician.com if you want to set up a consultation with me a one hour uh, no obligation financial review of what you're doing great time to do it as we go into the new year just call my office at 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Merry Christmas, everybody. And don't forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. <laughs>